It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We've analyzed their attack zone, and there is a danger. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph, I think you overestimate their chances. and Battle Ones, episode 129 of Full of Sith. I am Mike Pilot with my co-hosts, Amy Ratcliffe, Brian Young, Bobby Roberts. And we have some things to discuss that Star Wars related tonight. And Brian, why don't you let everybody know what they are? Um, we're going to be talking about uh, some of Drew Struzan's comments because he's seen most of The Force Awakens. We're going to be talking about Biggs Darklighter and what he may or may not have anything to do with Diego Luna. And uh, we're going to be talking about the difference between fans and filmmakers and where they should or shouldn't have to meet. And uh, we might tackle an email or two at the end there. That sounds good. Bobby, what do you think we should tackle first tonight? Well, being as the show is called Full of Sith, I think there's sort of an idea as to what that actually means amongst the listenership. And I think uh, for a lot of people, that idea, um, and it gets more solid the more i tend to talk um is that we are the ones who are full of sith and it's a very jokey sort of comment on us and uh our content but as the show has gone on i've sort of gotten the idea that uh and we did this sort of accidentally we just kind of backed into it um what we do is more point out things that happen to be full of sith and provide new viewpoints and uh new takes on bits of conventional wisdom that might not be so conventional. Um, and today's yes, show is kind of very much about that. Like, uh, for example, let's go ahead and tackle this Diego Luna thing um, that popped up fairly early within the week. And let's see if we can uh, examine this from uh, all angles and figure out if the fan speculation that is centered around Diego Luna uh, has any meat on its bones. So, uh, Brian, Amy, either one of you want to jump on and sort of describe uh, what the Internet sort of grabbed and uh, and ran with. Well, here's the thing. I was in New Orleans most of the week eating beignets, and I only caught a little bit of what what fans were talking about. So I will let Brian inform inform me and the listeners about. Well, now that we're all jealous, we weren't in New Orleans with you grubbing up on what beignets beignets they're like little donut kind of things oh okay all right gotcha. with powdered sugar and deliciousness <laughs> oh, so yeah. at d23 last week they released that amazing rogue one cast photo and it looks stunning like i'm really i get more excited about rogue one as every day goes by closer to the force awakens um and they're shooting now and diego luna has a mustache in this photograph. Now, some enterprising young fans went through a catalog of Star Wars characters that might have also had mustaches, hit <laughs> upon Biggs Darklighter, 
and because their mustaches were similar, said, what if this guy is Biggs Darklighter? Like, that's it makes so much sense. He's Biggs Darklighter. Look at their mustaches. Yeah, only two guys in the galaxies have mustaches. Lando and Biggs Darklighter. No, I don't know. But the point is, is that people started, like, there were side-by-side comparisons. They were, like, matching up the shapes of the mustaches. Um, and that sort of fan speculation is fun, but I think when we got together to talk about what we were going to talk about today, we all sort of decided that that's silly. <laughs> it doesn't seem to make any sense uh, chronologically, first of all. Now, I know that a lot of the timeline right around Star Wars uh, is a little bit in question due to the old canon being tossed out, but I still believe that Biggs wasn't really involved all that much in the rebellion until the first battle at the Death Star. Honestly, I, I, I have a hard time buying that he ends up getting involved with the stealing of the Death Star plans and then at some point swings by Tatooine to have a high school reunion with uh, Fixer and, and Deke uh, and all those guys over at Tashi Station uh, and then bails out again. Uh, before finding the rebellion, I, I don't know how that could possibly match up, and that's and that's even going past the point that we are par- we are paying Garrick Hagen a huge huge compliment by suggesting that uh, a young Diego Luna looks a lot like him. Uh, that's a I mean, I wish people would say that I look like a young Diego Luna, but that's never going to happen. I look more like a uh, a middle aged Danny DeVito. So I I mean my my personal jealousies aside. I don't know if Diego Luna and Garrick Hagen are all that visually similar for us to be saying, well, yeah, he's obviously playing the exact same character. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Um, well, I think the other thing, a question I would pose to all of you, uh, are the deleted scenes in the conventional wisdom of things that were in deleted scenes and in things like the audio dramas, are they canon or close to canon? Because uh, Biggs is talking to Luke in all of those scenes about how he's leaving for the Imperial Academy only to jump ship. And this happens quite clearly after that first battle of the rebellion. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Uh, the canonicity of deleted scenes is from what I understand, nil zero. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't count something that's been cut from a movie. Now, if those details have been reincorporated into any of the young adult novels coming up, uh, comic books, um, even the stuff in the radio drama is, so far as I can tell, not canon until it gets reincorporated well, into stuff like the uh, the Korean webtoon. Didn't um, they say that uh, the novelizations are canon in every situation where they don't directly contradict the films? I think that used to be the old rules, but I don't know if those rules still apply. Amy? That, that's, that's, that's just so confusing. <laughs> It just—it's funny to me that they—they they made the switch. Sometimes I think where it's like, no, everything we've got this all in the single universe now. Legend, you know, expanded universes, legends. We have a clean slate, but then we still have to have conversations like, well, if the sun shines on this day on Tatooine at the right angle, then this part is canon. But you know, like it's just entertaining to me sometimes that we still have to like drill down. We don't know. Well, yeah, and the and the Korean webtoons have already been classified as sort of gray area. Like, I guess there's stuff in there that is canon up to a point. Um, and then everyone just kind of shrugs and like, we'll see if something 
messes that up later, I guess. But didn't they say that it was the different? It was uh, the stuff that was gray area was stuff that was interpreted for like cultural differences or something, or like what that yeah country would find more palatable or something. Well, I, I think for me, it's just the biggest problem with Biggs being the character that Diego Luna is playing is that it suggests that Biggs had already found the rebellion. Uh, before the start of Star Wars, and it seems, it seems like even if those deleted scenes don't count, that the timeline for that they would have to basically completely drastically rewrite a whole new timeline for Biggs Darklighter in order to get Diego Luna to be playing Biggs Darklighter. Uh, and even then, the Biggs Darklighter that Luke meets in the hangar doesn't seem like he would be the happy-go-lucky, cheerful Biggs Darklighter that Luke does meet if he was in fact on this very serious. Uh, draft dingy uh, secret gorilla go steal some plans. I just realized why uh, none of these characters are anyone we know and all of their days are numbered because if you go back and remember in in A New Hope uh, Princess Leia is the only place with the plans. Mm -hmm. Vader says uh, Vader says quite specifically she's their only link to finding the plans in the rebel secret base. Mm-hmm. Now that means that the rebels of Rogue One have passed on the plans and been captured or dealt with by Vader already. By the time this movie, by the time A New Hope starts, those rebels have been dealt with. And it's something that wouldn't Biggs kind of mention that like, hey, I've been in a hairy spot, but it's good to see you. Uh, you know, there's we stole those Death Star plans. Crazy, right? Yeah. Well, they only had a few minutes. They were kind of involved, you know. They were a little busy. I could see how some some backstory, some history didn't have time to really get fully addressed. I know that that is a fairly good point. It's I mean, we're we're dealing with, you know, a, a dramatic reunion between two best friends. I it might have taken the last third of that movie and sent it to sort of a darkish place if like Biggs takes a swill from space whiskey, uh, lights up a space stogie, uh, and bellies up to the bar to tell Luke a horrible tale about how seven eighths of his crew died to get the plans that Luke just brought back to the planet with the Death Star tailing behind him. Thanks a lot, you know, farm boy. Like that that might put a damper on the end of star so i can sort of see why it's more like hey hey, pal what's up i'm gonna give you a noogie noogie noogies uh i I can see why they chose that tone uh as if this thing actually all happened in real life the the real reason it played out that way is because george lucas hadn't conceived of any of this when he wrote any of it down so what do you think mike um i don't think of it much i (laughs) think to go back to earlier in the conversation you asked about what is considered canon and what's not if it's deleted scenes or not. And the only thing I wanted to touch up on that was, and I'm pretty sure Bobby said it earlier. It was it's been my understanding that they don't count unless it's reused later. And um, as far as uh, it being let go, not not told to Luke when they're just quickly getting together and, and having a conversation. I don't know. It was big big dark lighter, um, a braggy kind of guy, because if he was a braggy kind of guy, he definitely that would have been the first thing he brought up. Hey, you got to hear what happened. And all these people died. But, you know, I succeeded and I'm wonderful. His name, his name is Darklighter and he wears a cape. Yeah, he's kind of a braggy guy. Yeah. So I, I would expect that to come out of his mouth first. Yeah, you got to be super confident and willing to let everybody know how super confident you are just by the mere fact that you were rocking that porn stash and wearing that cape. The only two people in the entire Star Wars universe 
rock that porn stash cape con- combo. Biggs, Lando. There's a there's a reason for that. It's because they're the only ones in the entire universe with that much swag to pull it off. So I mean, he he would have told Luke. I think I think he would have absolutely told Luke what was up. So I mean, I just I just don't see that porn stash being a strong enough link. Like Diego has probably got a porn stash because he's Diego Luna, and he also has just enough swag to pull that off in the 21st century. Um, so I, I don't know if that means he's Biggs Dark Lighter. However, Brian did bring this up. Brian did bring this up. Biggs Darklighter is a pretty interesting character that maybe the new canon could dive into a little bit. Um, Brian, could you speak on why you think Biggs Darklighter is worthy of like, maybe a few pages uh, in a novelization or uh, you know a, a few panels in a comic book story? Well, I think uh, Biggs's story, as we and and again, this is kind of why I wanted to ask about the deleted scenes, right? Because the conventional wisdom about Biggs and what little we know based on what's still in the movie that Biggs joined the Imperial Academy, jumped ship in order to make contact and join the rebellion, which seems like the worst idea in the world. I want to join the rebellion. So I'm going to join the empire. Um, it on the surface doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's probably brilliant in its simplicity. And so, uh, it would be, I think it would be fascinating to find out how that worked um, with Biggs and to follow Biggs through the academy and find out what happened uh, to get him to the rebellion. I'm also curious to know, we, we knew Luke wanted to get off Tatooine and also wanted to join. He was planning to go off to the Imperial Academy. And I would like to trace Biggs, you know, from the beginning like i want to hear conversations about what they think because we know they want to go there and sure it's probably a guaranteed way to get off tatooine but why else why else do they look at this as an appealing option why is everybody pro empire what is i want the recruiting pamphlets i want to know what they're selling and why Biggs chose to go there and having that background and history then going into knowing what made him switch sides it's like American graffiti, right? Like that's what that story would be. That's how you could do it as a movie where, where Biggs is the uh, Richard Dreyfus character and Luke Skywalker's Ron Howard and uh, tank and Cammy and, and all those people are like the rest of the crew. And uh, Biggs is the one who gets out, even though he has that entire crisis about not wanting to in the beginning. Well, and I think that's, that's part of the reason a lot of those scenes got cut in the first place was because, um, the space adventure was being bogged down by the fact that there was an American graffiti remake uh, on, on the sandy ass end of outer space. And uh, Alan Ladd at 20th Century Fox and a couple other people who were watching, you know, dailies come in. were like, um, we know that American graffiti was fairly successful, George, but uh, this is taking a long time. <laughs> so can we cut some of that out? And I think it's a valid idea to go back to Tatooine and see the adventures, the American graffiti-esque adventures of Biggs and Luke Skywalker. I think that would be a really cool book or a really cool comic uh, or maybe even like a, a really cool uh, you know, animated miniseries or something. Um, that might be a valid option. Like, okay, it didn't fit in the movie itself, but now 35, 40 years later, maybe we can go back and revisit and make it its own thing set off to the side that we can devote the time and energy necessary uh, to really fleshing it out uh, and maybe it'll actually bring Tatooine to life in a way that uh, isn't just you know 
arid dirt ball and or you know wretched hive of scum and villainy crawling with uh dilapidated decrepit degenerate muppets uh you know maybe we can actually have like a bit of a you know a look into how the hell do kids grow up here and what do they do to entertain themselves um that might be fairly interesting and that could give us more shading to biggs because as a character basically all he's ever been is uh luke's best friend with a porn stash who blows up real fast um and i gotta imagine there's a little bit more to there's a potential for him um and i'm curious to see whether or not the new canon is going to investigate that potential even as i think he's not going to be the character diego luna's playing i don't think rogue one is going to be investigating a uh, big dark rider anytime soon amy it's something bobby says that tangent but when he talked about wanting to see more about Tatooine and learning more about the planet works I've been rereading Dune mm-hmm. and just the way that Frank Herbert describes Arrakis and the way you get intimately like up close and personal with how people survive uh, what kind of what they do to entertain themselves but more about survival because that's a goddamn harsh planet <laughs> but I feel like in Star Wars we get more like we get environments we kind of get a sense of what Hoth is like and how brutal it is but I would like in future stories uh, and that would be a great opportunity to get it just builds more like it adds more to the world building when you find out about the day-to-day operations of a planet rather than just oh it's hot and dusty or man it's really cold and you're gonna die if you're outside very long so of course that was, rough uh, and irritating ugh. everywhere um and i think they've sort of tackled that in the uh the main star wars comic over at marvel uh that obi-wan kenobi issue that that flashback issue that's kind of a bit like you know this is a day in the life now granted is a pretty interesting couple days in the life and it needs to be but uh i do like that they were willing to go there and i know a lot of people want an obi-wan spinoff movie partially to get a little bit of that flavor like i know people are tired of tatooine they're sick to death of tatooine it's, i don't it's think probably, people are i think some people are i think that's most of the reason why jakku is jakku and not tatooine like they look fairly similar but i think a lot of the reason uh, you've pulled one sun out of the sky uh, and added some scrub brush around is so that it's not Tatooine. There's nothing the wrong with a change of scenery. Exactly. That's, that's well, it, it's, it's not really a change of scenery, though. It's a change of planet name. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that um, like exploring Tatooine as, you know, essentially planet New Mexico, which is what I think it, it, it essentially <laughs> could be. Um, I think that's part of the reason people kind of want an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie set between episode three and episode four is because you're going to get a sense of that day in the life. You're going to get a sense of, you know, this guy trying to hide his abilities while also having to deal with some of that scum and villainy while also just trying to find something interesting to do. Like, does, is it just Pilates? Is it yoga? Uh, does he paint? Uh, like, how do you while away the days in Tatooine and not go crazy? You mess with sand I, people. Yeah, you just go piss the sand people off. Um, I think we'd be remiss in talking about the possibilities of Biggs's story and exploring that if we didn't bring up the audio dramas. Yeah, true. Um, the audio dramas explored a lot of that territory with Biggs, um, and a lot of it was exploded out from the deleted scenes. But I mean, they went they went further back than that. They did do the the racing American graffiti kind of thing, um, and that that stuff was some of my favorite in the audio dramas Mm -hmm. and they're absolutely going back in mining that stuff like we've already seen it in the princess leia novel uh we've seen it in the korean webtoon so yeah it rebels as well so i gotta imagine that um that 
elements of Biggs's backstory are probably still considered valid, hopefully, by the story group. And I'm I'm kind of hoping that they're going to pluck some of those out, like like hyper ripe yogan fruit, and just kind of pull it out and then place it on the plate and slice it up and present it to us in a new way. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. Are they using but, the force when they do that? Or are they doing it by hand? Uh, hopefully, they're doing it by hand, or they've improved the effects on when they do it. <laughs> because that was whoa oh, that pair um anyway <laughs> but to bring it back to the uh the thing that sparked us off on this uh weird wild west tangent here um no i don't think diego luna is playing big's dark lighter that doesn't seem to make any sense to can, me. I, can i just say one thing since we went back to that statement um mm-hmm. please i would love I'd love to have that kind of time to sit there and go through a database of characters to figure out this person's mustache is the same as the others <laughs> I, I just think that it, that's, I mean, good for you. Good for you. But I, I don't know. I just think that's just going a little too, for me personally, that's just going a little too deep into trying to figure things out. Yeah. I mean, it was a nice idea and it's a nice thought to kick around. But I think once you start trying to attach any importance or weight to it, like it just, it sinks. It does not stay. It's not buoyant. It doesn't stay afloat anymore. So uh, that's just me. And I, I would love to see more of the day-to-day like operations of a planet thing. And, and I think that, that that's really well set in one of the the novels to come out or or in one of the comics i I think that that's a good place for it yeah but i mean luckily we didn't have to sort of uh speculate on it too much or or kick that particular soccer ball around because very shortly after that theory started to gain traction it was basically blown out of the star wars news cycle uh by one uh retired poster painter by the name of drew struzan who's not so retired anymore when it comes to star wars yes um, he gave an interview, uh, and that interview got picked up by basically every entertainment news site. Yeah, uh, everywhere. and there are a fair amount of details, and it is it is pretty interesting. Um, the first thing that jumped out at me was that he's been working on a, a Force Awakens poster for seven months now. Wow. Yeah, like they 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 got him out of retirement. I guess J.J. Abrams was talking to him, uh, and uh, the end of the talk was essentially, "Would you do it?" and Struzan was like, if you ask me, and then JJ didn't like straight up ask him at that point, <laughs> but JJ came back later and asked him, um, and I guess, you know, money changed hands and then he was at work and he was at work for like seven months. Um, I, I think our theory about that D23 poster being uh, an abandoned concept that was just sort of taking to its end point anyway. Um, I think that's correct. I can't imagine Drew worked on a poster, a single poster for seven months. He probably worked on 15 or 16 different ideas sure. and took the yeah. ages of completion. So it does sound to me like we are going to get a theatrical release poster relatively soon, and it is going to be Drew Struzan. It's not going to be Phil Noto. It's probably going to be Drew Struzan because that's... he's been working on it for seven months. They're not going to let that, the entirety of his seven months, be nothing but that D23 poster. I you, doubt uh buried the lead there though that's not the thing everybody was reporting on oh no 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 i was just trying to set it up (laughs) yeah um he says that the force awakens is probably the best star wars movie he's ever seen Uh, uh, here's the thing (laughs) here's the thing every time a movie comes out i heard when episode one was coming out people were saying that episode one was the greatest star wars movie they ever saw and it happens with any movie that comes out wolf punch the gray with Liam Neeson. Oh, it's the greatest movie about wolves ever. I, I, you know what? I, I like, I like the promotion behind it, but I, I don't, I, I have lived long enough to know that I am not going to base my expectations on how good a movie is going to be by, by that. I, I kind of push that off to the side. 
I want to thank you for clarifying that you meant the gray because I was tripping for a second that I had missed a major motion picture release called Wolf Punch. That's what it should have been called. <laughs> I was like, when did something called Wolf Punch come out? What are you talking about? I need to see this right now. Yeah, but I, so yeah, if, I, if they would have used that, they would have made a lot more money on that movie. Wait, did you actually see pre-release like tweets and Facebook posts that are saying this is the best movie that has wolves yeah. in it in the of cinema? <laughs> I, I saw You've one never or two. Seen Charlie Martin Smith and Never Cry Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I kind of now now that I'm old and mature and still a lot of immature, but I, I kind of push that off to the side. I don't I don't get my expectations through the roof when I hear something like this. Sorry, I think that's fair. I think that um, especially now that uh, people can instantaneously deliver an opinion via Twitter or Facebook the instant they come out of a, uh, a pre-release screening. I do think that, uh, that that sort of early opinions on films have gotten a little bit overinflated because of that. Like I, to, to use a, a more relevant example, I guess, um, early word on stuff like uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was really good. Uh, and then the movie came out. Yeah, and then the movie came out, yeah. Yeah, same with, uh, and even more recently, um, there was semi-decent early word on fantastic four that was one that was just devin faraci <laughs> that was, was just devin faraci was it yeah. I, I remember seeing a couple other critics sort of like well it's not it's not bad well okay which I is still overselling it from what i understand going on a four sentence side tangent the thing with fantastic four is that it's a mediocre movie yeah. it's like a five or a six out of ten and mm. because faraci uh, reviewed it as a five or a six out of ten. Everybody started pointing to him, saying, "See, it's not going to be bad." <laughs> and uh, apparently, pointing out a mediocre film is mediocre yeah. when everyone else is calling it the worst movie ever made is pra- is high praise. But 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 I think the uh, the thing that we need to to notice here is that yes, early early word from people who have seen a movie that you're not going to see for another two three months their excitement of having seen something is probably going to be a little does bit that, over. Does that work for a guy like Drew Struzan though, who's been in the movies who Amy, did you want to say something? That's just what I was thinking. It's like, this is just not some dude on Twitter that you, mm. you know, has opinions like all the rest of us and blurts them out uncontrollably. It's Drew Struzan <laughs> who we don't often hear yeah. well, anything from. And he does strike me as a little, like when you read interviews and stuff, and, and I respect this because I am a, a curmudgeon on the inside. He strikes me as a little bit of a kind of a grumpy, like kind of gruff uh, and dude who doesn't just sit there and like fanboy over everything. Yeah, but he also was paid to do something related to the movie. So, eh. Eh. Eh, I don't know. I, I don't like normally buy into like early hype, like or I don't judge whether I'm going to see a movie based mm-hmm. on it but his, drew struzan saying that carries carries a tiny bit w- more weight with me than you know random dude on the internet or lady and on the internet thanks to frank darabont i can't ever unsee drew struzan as just thomas jane yeah. <laughs> well i i do think that um to sort of bridge the gap between uh amy and mike here um it's not as if drew struzan is a person to whom we've actually gone for movie uh opinions before we go to Drew Struzan because he makes movies look brilliant, even if the movies are trashed here. Like, for example, Masters of the Universe. Or the first two Harry Potter films. I wouldn't call those trash. Those aren't awful. No, I those like first those two movies. Harry Potter movies? Oh, oh no. man. I'm not They're on so your bad. side on this one, Brian. But, but, but the fact that he did say, and he is so, you know, 
inextricably tied to Star Wars. And he did say, based on only having seen half the film, I think he's read the entire script, but he only saw half the film, uh, that it's the best Star Wars movie he's seen. That's going to cause people to perk up. They're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. The guy who takes these movies distills them into a singular visual image that can transmit the essence of what this film is trying to go for. He has seen half of the movie, read the script, and said that it's going to be the best Star Wars movie ever made. That is apparently worth paying attention to. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. Um, but it is it, it is a fairly interesting uh, phenomenon. Like we're, We didn't know, I think, until Drew Struzan just sat up and said it. We didn't know that we were really waiting for someone to weigh in on the quality until someone did. And now it's like it's starting to become real, real to us, like real, real trill. It's getting super trill to us well, right now. This movie is going to come out. We're going to have to judge it on its own merits. I think when you mentioned, though, that people were just like they wanted to have that prideful boast that they've seen it. Mm-hmm. I think Drew Struzan's I think that was less Drew Struzan and more uh, Bob Iger at D23 when he's just like, I've seen it. It's great. Yeah. It's just like you're you, sir, are an asshole. How do you watch? <laughs> how do you watch half a movie? And then read the rest of the script. How, how do you not you watch see the, the half that's done? Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> if he's been working on it for seven months, that means they probably showed him uh, a cut that was done, I don't know, like nine months ago. And it, it might have only been that, like, the first half of the movie was what was locked in and uh, fairly well. Yeah. Uh, Brian, let me ask you this. Are you saying that Bob Iger is such a big Star Wars fan that they bought Lucasfilm just so he could say that he saw the movie before anybody else? I you inferred that okay (laughs) (laughs) well and that actually uh brings me up I I want to talk about this uh regarding fan because we're talking about this like Drew Struzan is a fan of Star Wars he absolutely is um and as a fan of Star Wars uh his opinion does carry a little bit more weight uh because we know he enjoys the films for what they are um and as someone who's already keyed in and tuned in to what Star Wars is offering uh his opinion is going to mean a little bit more. Um, and it's sort of a it's sort of a, a side tangent off what we talked about last week regarding like the the fan hierarchies uh, and such, and and it plays in pretty closely to what Struzan said and and why it was received the way it was. Why fandom sort of perked up in its seats was like, oh wait a minute, like basically there's a bit of conventional wisdom out there uh, that didn't exist a decade ago that just kind of snuck up and been accepted as fact since then. And I kind of want to. I want to try and debunk it. Like we've touched on it before, but the idea is this that a film will be better off if there are fans making it. That the fandom of a creator or a studio owner who might have bought the property solely so he can watch it four or five months early and then brag to the rest of the fans about how he got to see it and you didn't, yeah. Um, that a film will be better off if if the fans are making it and that fandom plays an important role in the quality of the product they create but it it doesn't though <laughs> yeah i just just a real quickly to add what i think here i yeah. love star wars i love mm-hmm. it it's one of my favorite things in the world i know nothing about making a movie let alone a good movie so <laughs> i never would think that i oh well if i would have been on the story group i could have done no no yeah. no well, i mean here's the thing like it doesn't hurt to be a fan but it doesn't necessarily help in the making of a good movie at all. Like, but it sounds good, like mostly because it reinforces the idea that good movies are made because good fans have their hands on the steering wheel. 
which feeds back into the idea that there are good fans and bad fans and fans that are way up here on the hierarchy and fans that are down there and maybe don't even deserve to be fans. They're not the true fans. Uh, and that whole thing sort of allows us to sort of in our own way, take a tiny sliver of credit for the quality of the film we love. So he's a fan like we're fans and the power of fandom is what made this thing so good. So we as fans are kind of what made it so good. We're not, really rewarding the creatives for making a good movie like that what we're doing is rewarding ourselves for being good fans because if they're fans we're fans and then the victory becomes fandoms and not filmmaker well, it's, it's a it's a weird little breakdown that i don't know if a lot win. of people sort of make the connection on what were you gonna fandom, say fandom wins if the movie's good anyway that's what yeah that's what i'm saying like we don't have to come up with a, uh, a a sort of convoluted way to track it back to ourselves in order to you know get a win we get a win if the movie's good it doesn't really matter if fans are making that good movie uh or not we get the win regardless uh like i mean look at marvel that studio is run by kevin fake who everyone knows is a huge fan of marvel comics so people just sort of naturally assume it seems to make sense that the films are good that the films are quality because a fan is the one making sure that the properties are being represented correctly but Joss Whedon, who is just as much of a fan, if not more so, spent all this summer telling you that the movie he really wanted to make wasn't really made the way he wanted to because of this other fan who kind of sort of got in his way. So it's fandom didn't really help there, did it? And that's not the only time fandom didn't do Whedon any favors. Like, dude is a huge fan of Aliens. Everyone knows this. And he's a really good writer. But being a really big fan of Aliens and a really good writer didn't help him write a good script for Alien Resurrection. Now, yeah, hey, I, I liked that movie. I know you like that movie. And I know that a lot of people will say, yeah, but the director, Jean-Pierre Junet, screwed up the script and he didn't care. He didn't really screw up the script, though. The differences between what Whedon wrote and what actually ended up on screen are not that different. It's essentially it's it's, it's about 75 to 80 percent the exact same screenplay. Um, Amy has an idea of an okay. example. Oh, just an example of when it's not always a great idea for people who are big fans of properties to make movies is look what Peter Jackson did to The Hobbit. <laughs> he handled, I feel like, Lord of the Rings trilogy relatively well, but The Hobbit, he took a single book, turned it into three movies, and there was a lot of fan service stuff thrown in there, you know, from the appendices. Mm -hmm. Stuff that eh, maybe it was cool to see, but doesn't mean it made for a, a well-structured, tight story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can go back even further, like stay in the superhero genre. But remember when Avi Arad was basically the king of Marvel Studios when it was still licensing out all of its properties? He was considered a very big fan. As a matter of fact, um, at Marvel, he was basically the biggest fan working at Marvel for a while there back in the early 2000s. And uh, Mark Webb was hired by Avi Arad to reboot Spider-Man. And Mark Webb was a big Spidey fan as well. And yet Avi Arad and Mark Webb, two big fans, came together, turned out two pretty bland movies. Um, and fandom, <laughs> I don't know if fandom is the reason those movies turned out bleh. I do know that fandom was not the reason that those movies had anything positive I, in here's, them. Here's the thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a good fan or a bad fan or a fan at all. Mm -hmm. It matters if you are good at your job. Exactly. And know what you are doing. 
Yeah, if fandom and, was if fandom was a factor, you'd probably see a lot more really like, good genre films because look, one would recognize that it's just a matter of basically getting out of the way of the biggest fan on set and letting that fan steer the ship. I think look at J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek movie is yeah. a perfect example of someone who wasn't a fan who steered a ship, a giant uh, enterprise-sized ship, mm-hmm. into an excellent direction uh and and hit all of those notes that i think fans or some fans wanted and created a really good movie because he was making it as a movie and not approaching it as hey i'm going to mess with the franchise and we've got nine movies planned and there's a giant plan and i'm a huge nerd for this and want to do it i think uh he just focused on making a good movie Mm -hmm. like uh star trek is a good example star trek 2 is even a better example uh the director and writer of that nicholas meyer uh basically had to watch like 15 hours of star trek before he stepped on set because he didn't know anything about it they hired a guy uh who knew nothing about star trek and he went and turned out what what ended up being the best star trek film ever made still uh the dark knight christopher nolan wasn't a big batman fan and yet he's fairly well recognized as doing the best live action Batman movie. And for a lot of people, the best uh, superhero film ever made. I, I, I think that's, I think that's definitely debatable, <laughs> but I mean, um, we don't even have, we don't even have to look at like modern superhero stories. Like how much of a star Wars fan was Ralph McQuarrie when he created the paintings that got star Wars greenlit? How like, much of a star Wars fan was Irvin Kershner? Mm hmm. How much of a Star Wars fan was Richard Marquand? Yeah, how much of a Star Wars fan was Joe Johnston when he designed the vehicles that you play with as a child? He wasn't. He he wasn't a fan of Star Wars uh, at all. Like, yes, people are pointing to J.J. Abrams uh, and Simon Simon Pegg and their fandoms as evidence that the film is in either good and or bad hands. But their fandom isn't the key element in what makes the movie good. The film's in good hands because they're good filmmakers. The prioritization of fandom, I think, is what I'm trying to get at here. Uh, Alan Ladd wasn't a Star Wars fan when he put Star Wars into production. He was just uh, a George Lucas fan. Yeah. Lawrence Kasdan wasn't a Star Wars fan back in 1978 when Lucas hired him to come on and write the film. Uh, Lee Brackett was definitely not a fan. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about fandom and filmmaking. It can come after the fact. You don't need it up front. It's not a priority. The priority is making sure that you hire good storytellers who can do the job that they've been assigned. That's the priority. Yes. And yes. that becomes all the more apparent when you stop looking at like just genre films. It's like, did Gone Girl succeed last year because yeah. there were so many Jillian Flynn fans on the set? Did Planet yeah. of the Apes work because there were Planet of the Apes fanatics behind the scenes? Colin Trevorrow was a huge Jurassic Park fan, right? Now tell me how much of that actually matters when you watch the movie he made. Um, I think this is a, a very uh, important point. Uh, when I was talking to Dave Filoni mm-hmm. uh, at one point, or maybe it was an interview someone else had done, um, but I'm pretty sure he was talking to me. Uh, he said that George Lucas had told them, if you want to make good Star Wars, don't study Star Wars. Yeah. Study all the films that turned into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Don't study Star Wars. And I think that's sort of like even George Lucas is the final word. Like, I don't necessarily think George Lucas is a big fan. Of Star Wars, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's a story he has in his head that he's uh, 
uh, compulsively telling because that's what he has roaming around in his head. But I would never walk up to George Lucas and say like, man, aren't you just the biggest star Wars fan? Like, I don't think he's a fan. We're we're on the same page on that in that fandom should not be the primary fuel for storytelling uh, and suggesting that it should, or actually needs to play a part in the making of a movie. I don't think that's, that's a great suggestion. You know what you make, you, you both make great points and I just want to put it more into a layman's terms because both of you guys are really smart and I'm dumber than you. So let me just put it into a better term. Uh, there's people out there that are great brain surgeons and there's people who are fans of brain surgeons. You do not want the fan <laughs> of a brain surgeon doing your brain surgery. People have different jobs and different skill sets for a reason because they're talented in different ways. Everybody has something that makes them talented. But mm. just because you are, you're an enthusiast about something doesn't make you a brain surgeon. Okay. Amy, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I think Mike said it best. That was a perfect way to capture it. Thank yeah, you. it is. Yeah, you, you, you want a filmmaker behind the camera. You want a surgeon behind the knife. You don't want someone whose main calling card is that they're a really big fan of something. Well, we we uh, compare fandom to sports a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. So being a fan of a particular team mm-hmm. uh, does not make you, you know, World oh, no. Series material that, to be on the worst. Team. That's the worst. There's there's owners out there that love their teams. Uh, Washington Redskins, Dan Snyder, he is uh, self-proclaimed the biggest Washington Redskins fan in the world. And the team has been we, garbage. We know because since, he hasn't changed the yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. Yet. So the team has been garbage <laughs> since he bought them because he's such a super fan. And yeah, he makes dumb yeah. decisions. Yeah, like, uh, again, it's, it's one of those things. Now, maybe you think I'm full of Sith as opposed to the concept that I'm trying to kick around here. But it's one of those things that's be- become like just generally accepted conventional wisdom that I don't think uh, really fits or really works. The idea that we're in good hands because there's a fan uh, in, behind the camera. I don't care if they're a fan what i care about is whether or not they can tell a story in a way that will make me a fan even if i wasn't that's the thing like i think dave filoni is another great example to point out yes that guy's a fan that guy is super fan number 99 Mm -hmm. but he's an excellent storyteller and he can marry those a little bit better than than other people especially when you have to dive into star wars as deep as he does on television shows that are much more expansive but that he's a fan isn't what got him the job. That mm-hmm. he's a fantastic storyteller is what got him the job. Yeah, like, uh, I, again, it was something we sort of mentioned last week, but uh, I do want to highlight that uh, being a fan is probably not anywhere on uh, the list of questions that they're asking prospective directors uh, or writers. Uh, I don't think that even enters into it. What they're worried about is whether or not you've got a resume that proves that you can tell a story that will make new fans. You know what I'm which, saying? Like, which, yeah, which is why I'm still a little bit nervous about Gareth Edwards. Yeah, the, the guy's a fan. At Celebration, you guys, were, Amy, you were sitting next to me when he showed those pictures of him being. Uh, uh, where did he go? He went to uh, Tunisia to visit all the Star Wars sets, and that's how he spent his 30th birthday because he's a Star Wars fan. But. I'm not sold on that guy as a filmmaker. I did not think Godzilla was that great uh, at all. It, it had some fun moments, but it was not great. And so I'm concerned about that. If I were basing it only on his fandom, I would be like, hey, we're in good hands. Yeah. 
but the movie the movie has to count for something the storytelling ability has to count for something um i'm I'm not saying that uh you know lucasfilm should go out uh and the first question they ask is have you ever seen a star wars movie and if they say no then lucasfilm like bangs down a gavel uh throws a director chair at them and says go make us a star wars movie i'm not arguing that but what i am arguing is the idea that um that fans need to prioritize their own fandom over whether or not a filmmaker is actually I think job. As we've been talking to this, I think I I've understood the crux of what people might have mm-hmm. uh, with Simon Pegg. Yeah. And I think that there are people who, because he talks about actively despising the prequels, mm-hmm. it takes it to a different what realm where it's okay to be neutral or not a fan. Mm-hmm. But some of them might think, well, because he actively despises this corner of Star Wars, there's no way he can have love for it elsewhere. And I don't think cognitive dissonance is a disqualifier. I think we all have cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it just, well, and that sort of ties back into the idea that fandom is a big priority in, in what decisions are getting made. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think there are a lot of people currently working on Star Wars movies right now that don't like all the Star Wars movies. I think there are people writing Star Wars books right now that don't like all the Star Wars novels that came out previously. Now, maybe you don't know about that. So, you know, ignorance is bliss and such. But it doesn't actually change the quality of the work that comes out. What they liked before doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to take the the project that they've been handed and turn it into a brick bat and turn it into a bludgeon and use it as a means to lash out at the things they don't like in Star so, Wars. And that's not the that's not the goal of any storyteller. Um let's talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> um the Social Security Administration here in the United States. Oh, this got newsy real fast. What's up? Yeah, I know. They <laughs> released their like list of like top thousand baby names oh. for last year. And for the first time ever, uh, Anakin came in on the list. Huh. And this story has been... You're about to get real hipster on us, aren't you? No, no, no. I, I thought it was important because I, I wanted to bring it up, not because I'd done it 13 years ago, but because every... <laughs> Just, just saying. No, but because years ago. because I did it thirteen years ago, everyone and their cousin has sent me nine different versions of this story. Okay, all right. Um, which is the only reason it was on my radar is because it's been emailed to me, texted to me, Facebooked to me, tweeted at me. Okay. Um, uh, and and I'm not I'm not being hipster about it. I'm actually excited about it, uh, which is something hipsters aren't about anything. Um, <laughs> yes, all right. You've nullified my claim. Good. Um. But that Anakin came in on the list at the 957th most popular name for last year. And Anakin was uh, named, uh, it was given, it was a name given to 218 baby boys last year. Is this for Uh, people who like Clone Wars? uh, I'm not sure. And what I, what I wanted to take issue with, and, and obviously this is personal for me, um, is the dismissive tone a lot of the articles took about it. Mm. So here's IO9 writing about it. Uh, and there's the news part. And then the next sentence is, why would people name their children after an infamous dark Jedi and slaughterer of younglings? Whether they were seduced by the dark side of the force, only saw the Phantom Menace and didn't know things took a bad turn later on, or just like the sound of the name without knowing it was invented by George Lucas, 
little Noah, Liam, and Mason, the top three boys' names, had better watch out. I don't know. The parents named them that because they have great expectations for their child. They um, think their kid's the chosen one. Yeah. They're not, they're not screwing around. They're putting that kid on the right path immediately. There's like 18 billion Masons. Great, thanks. How about some originality? <laughs> There's a lot of... Mason seems like a... I don't know. That's... You could want, you could probably leverage the same charge there so far as Mason goes because uh, when I think Mason, Perry Mason, I think James Mason, you think James Mason, I think uh, free, was it? free I, Mason. Yeah, I think of secret societies. Perry I think Mason, of, I think of lawyering up. But what? so I, I want to ask you guys because obviously I think Mike and I are 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 biased on this because Mike Anya, if I'm not mistaken, is a variation on a female variation of Anakin. Yeah, and. Uh, my boy's name is Anakin. So obviously we're biased. So I'm interested to get Amy and Bobby's perspective on like, what's the first thing you think about ignoring that Mike and I are here and can hear you when someone <laughs> introduces uh, their kid is named Anakin or, 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 you know, in the wild, what do you think about this? Is I'm a person. Like a My name is Anakin. That's, that's what I think. That's immediately what I think. That's the first thing that pops into my head. I'm a person and my name is Anakin. That's what I think. Amy, <laughs> I think, wow, this person must be a big Star Wars fan. We're, we're going to have a lot of things to talk about. That's great. <laughs> she's That's so as far much, as it goes. She's so much more diplomatic than I am. I just have a stray line <laughs> of dialogue, just take up the entire frontal lobe, and then I just sort of freeze in place as it loops. Um, I don't, I don't, I know a lot of people who are named after movies or after songs. My older sister, uh, her name is Maria, and she is named after uh, the main character in West Side Story. Um, you know, so I mean, yeah, yeah, there are there are people in my family uh, who are named after you know movie characters. So I don't think that is in and of itself uh, weird. Uh, I think I think hearing that someone is named Anakin uh, and then trying to figure out a way to prove how either the parent or the child is going to become somehow uh, defective uh, or evil is weird because you should recognize that it's a completely made up story. So it's not like the <laughs> child is now then beholden uh to walk around in an iron lung and force choke people uh, and, wait a second this didn't happen a long time ago in a galaxy far far away oh, no, in, that's a lie that's a lie michael i'm sorry you uh, didn't... in fairness to adults who would like to charge that against those people uh my son did light himself on fire uh so <laughs> um, on purpose have you guys not heard this story it's a great story amy no. So when Anakin was about five, uh, we had a uh, we had a, a barbecue, and he was wearing a grass skirt, and he uh, he was he got way too close to an open flame, and the grass skirt went up, and he was wearing gla- grass bracelets as well, as well, and he uh, he had second and third degree burns over like twelve fifteen percent of his body. Um, so we raced him to the emergency room, and uh, he. Um, you know he's five and and he isn't taking it all that well um we had to go to a hospital about an hour away from our house because uh that was the only place that had a specialized burn unit i had to hold him down while they um cut the blisters open and clean the wounds and uh finally after they got all the wounds dressed and whatnot uh he comes out of it and he's kind of groggy and he's got this smile on his face and i'm like what What's so funny? He's like, aren't you glad I still have all my limbs? Like, it's just like the movie. 
Then he asked, where's Padme? Yeah. That's wow. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Now people could make the well, point that that happened because you named him Anakin, and that's ridiculous. Well, no, it's ridiculous. It happened because he was being stupid. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, Star Wars uh, definitely, I mean, he obviously saw that irony a lot sooner than I did. And the only reason I can laugh about it now is because it's almost a decade ago, mm. right? When I was living it, it was like, you son of a, like, why would you say that to me right now? Like, do you have any <laughs> idea how much this is going to cost me and probably you too? Um, uh, yikes. Oof. But uh, so in, in defense of people who are going to be like, yeah, you named your kid Anakin, he's going to end up immolating himself. Um, that that did happen. Oh. It could happen. But it that could. could happen it's not too. out of the realm of possibility. All right. But it was it, it didn't happen because his name was Anakin. No, it happened because. Uh, yeah. Well, fire already... burns. OK. All right. Yeah. I'm, you probably should have led with that one as opposed to calling your five year old an idiot earlier. Your, your burnt five year old. Well, I mean, well, kids are stupid. They they really are. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like, if, the, so friendly, we, if we were not already the grumpy old man show, the fact that Brian just told a story about his five-year-old son getting burnt up, and then we're all like, what a dumb kid. He's going to listen to this. He's full of Sith. Zero. Do not come to us and expect a warm hug and a pat on the head. We're going to judge you for that. Um, you know, do you want to hear the the next worst step of that story? Because it actually got worse. Oh, please no! Let, let us in on the sequel. Um, the original was so entertaining. It was actually <laughs> so. So uh, he spends three weeks up at the burn unit, yeah. and and uh, it's right before Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. And Anakin was in this phase where he wanted he didn't want anybody to call him Anakin. Yeah. He had an Indiana Jones hat. He wanted everybody to call him Indy, and he was so excited for Crystal Skull because it came out on his birthday. And uh, he's in the hospital and they're like, we'll let you out if your parents can change your bandages uh, without you screaming, basically, because the way they change these bandages, they they take them off. You have to wipe all the dead skin off and then put more ointment on them. And a five year old's not happy about that. An adult wouldn't be happy no, about that. That's true. We bought him. We bought him midnight tickets to Crystal Skull. No, this is the best birth control I have heard in about fifteen. Years. <laughs> we bought him the midnight tickets for for Crystal Skull as an inducement. It was like this is your reward. If you can do this, we'll take you to the hospital, or we'll take you out of the hospital. They'll let you go, and we'll take you to see Indiana Jones. And it worked. And it was a two man job to change his uh, bandages, and. We bring him home the morning, uh, two days before Crystal Skull comes out. And then I start having chest pains. And I have no idea what's going on. And I'm the sort of person where it's like, I'm not going to the doctor. Like, I'll sleep this off. And I try to sleep it off. And uh, I know better than to work. work. Skirts around open flame. I'm not going. Yeah. That's not for me. So, like, eight hours later, like, in the middle of the night, the pain is so bad, I can't take it. So, I go to the doctor, and they're like, your gallbladder's infected. We have to take it out immediately. So, uh, I go in for surgery, like, immediately, and uh, my wife's at home with this kid that takes two people to change his bandages all by herself, and I'm laid up in the hospital. And he comes to visit me in the hospital, and he's like, you're still going to come see Indiana Jones with me, right? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Because the doctors didn't want to let me out. So I had to like 
cajole the doctors into letting me out early to go to the midnight screening of Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. So there's him wrapped in bandages around his hands because his fingers were all burned and wrapped around his middle in bandages and me in a wheelchair at the midnight show of Crystal Skull. <laughs> and, then, and then you still had to actually watch Crystal Skull. Man, there's no yeah. happy ending. No, Brian no. likes Crystal Skull. Don't even talk I bad know. about it. I know. Of course I'm, he does. I know. Of course. <laughs> Amy speaking with my voice right there. <laughs> of course he does. Why wouldn't he? I don't think it's as good as the other Indiana Jones movies. But I mean, well, that's sort of a testament to just sort of your uh, your sunny disposition. Uh, and it sort of actually kind of makes sense as to why you would like if I had to go through what you just went through in order to get to that midnight screening of the fourth Indiana Jones movie, I would still have fond movies even or fond movies. I would ha- I would still have fond memories of that. It even was- if it was like Prometheus tier terrible, I would still be like, I liked that. Yeah, movie. they're invested into it. So they're, it's, it's a memory. It, well, it was. Yeah, it was one of those things where it was just like. Okay, Anakin, this is going to get you out of the hospital. Here's the goal. We're going to make it to that goal. And all of a sudden, like, I'm down. And it's like, I still want to see it with you. Wait, so he didn't want to be called Anakin anymore, but you were still calling him Anakin? Um, well, we were calling him Indy. All the, all, the pictures, uh, uh, all the pictures of him from that era in the hospital, like, he's wearing, uh, like, scrubs, bandages, and an Indiana Jones hat. <laughs> Well, uh, to, to sort of bring it back to the the naming news that launched this <laughs> hilarious <laughs> digression into Brian's past history, um, has how has Anakin sort of uh, dealt with the fact that he's named after a very famous so, uh, film villain? Because it's it's obviously a name that he's embraced now. Like he he is fine with just being called he, Anakin. Well, Anakin wasn't a villain. Vader was the villain. Oh, okay. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker. Okay, yeah, um. Right. But he killed some no, kids before so, that. So no, he was thing. Vader. When, he was called Darth Vader before he killed the kids. When the he Tuscan. named, he killed Tuscan kids. Oh, they, well, they don't and, count. They're jerks. Oh, Mike. Oh, they're, they're animals. <laughs> mindless monsters. Yeah. Um, Anakin, he, uh, like, with that brief foray into Indiana Jones nerdery, mm. um, ha- has really embraced it. Not has always really embraced it. Um. Revenge of the Sith was a movie I took him to see when he was three, which was really important for me because that's how old I was when I went to go see Return of the Jedi. And there was like a connection there. And to this day, that's his favorite Star Wars movie. And when we named him that, people were like, are you really like going to name him that? Um, I, I was even sniped at in the newspaper by Eric Snyder yeah. uh, about this because Eric was... Uh, writing in the area like yeah. at the time about how like how bad that kid was going to have it and he's got the word snide in his last name yeah. so I'm, there's a bit of a he's got to live up to something i mean he's 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 more comedian than he is man um so the uh everybody was just like he's going to get bullied everybody's going to hate him he's going to go through life like it's going to suck for him has but he gotten bullied not at all no not at all not at all Okay. And in fact, like it's like a badge of honor. The other kids like whisper, like that kid's name's Anakin. That's from Star Wars. Like, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually, I actually like if you talk to him, it's actually been like to his benefit. It's better than Walt Junior. To have to have a cool, unique name. Um, and I think my daughter Scout would say the same thing about being named Scout. You don't see a lot of little girls. I mean, more than Anakin named Scout. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's been something that differentiates her from the other kids as well. And where for some reason, the common wisdom is if you're different in any way, you're going to catch that bullying. Um, it's just not been the experience with my kids. And that's awesome. I'm glad it hasn't been. Um, <clears throat> well, I'd like to see my wife out while she heads to work. So I think we're right about 60 minutes. So I think uh, we're going to have to hold off on the emails till next week. Um, but we do have some good ones. So we'll mm-hmm. definitely we'll definitely get well, to them. I'm sorry we took it down. No, no, that's, that's an important story for people who listen to you, Brian, for them to know. Because oh, you know, yeah. you know, podcast listeners are they they listen enough that you become a big part of their life, and you mm-hmm. just open up, and now they know a little bit more about you and your family. Yeah, they're they're tied a little bit closer. We all went on a on a disgusting, hilarious, harrowing journey with you there over the past twenty minutes, and I don't think there are a lot of listeners who would trade that experience for for you know answering an email or two. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, if you want to leave a voicemail, please do so. 206-426-5592 or the SpeakPipe app on the website. You can go to fullsit.com and get all the show notes and the informations like our Twitters at fullsith, at the mic, at Swankmatron, at Amy underscore geek. Also, facebook.com slash fullsith has the show arts and uh, articles that are posted and a whole bunch of other stuff that you could find there. And then if you want to email us like all these other fine people did, holocron at fullsith.com. Um, Amy writes great things. Amy, where can they find your stuff? Uh, on StarWars.com and Nerdist. And Brian writes great things, too. And where can you find your stuff? Um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, and I'll tell you all about it there. Ask me about it. I don't know. It's everywhere. And now, like, I can't get, like, we're doing this on video for the first time ever, like, as we're talking. And all I can see is Bobby pantomiming everything Mike is saying, and I just can't handle it. I have no concentration left. Wow, that's well, see, and, that's, and, and that is proof that we do listen to your feedback, uh, even if we don't get to uh, talk about it on the show uh, or even if we don't get to like address it in our own little, uh, you know, Facebook threads. Uh, we do read your feedback. We do take it into account. There was there had been some concerns that we were all stepping on each other a little bit too much. So we changed the way we record so we can see each other. So we know whether or not we are jumping on each other's syllables and other soft unmentionables. Uh, so we do take your comments into account. And if you want to leave a comment, Mike just laid everything out. If you want to email, go ahead and get at us. I am so eminently reachable on Facebook. Um, as a matter of fact, I had a very long, uh, drawn out, uh, started out contentious and ended super pleasantly conversation with a guy named Kitster Puncher on facebook i actually spent two hours of my work day on friday dude was upset with some stuff that i said last week i was like let's have the conversation let's talk about it we stepped into my office two hours of me procrastinating at work not doing a single stitch of newspaper business just so i could sit down and talk to this guy because he had some concerns that conversation ended beautifully i left work early on an up note thinking that is why we do full of Sith. Everybody's oh, welcome. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. All are welcome. Get a hold of I'm still kind of baffled that people would find us unwelcoming to Simon Pegg. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody's welcome. Everybody is welcome. Like there's, there's no limit for us. If the only thing Star Wars you like is a single toy, you're a Star Wars you're fan. In. Yeah, if you only like two out of the six movies, you're still a Star Wars fan. If you only like one episode of Clone Wars and nothing else, still a Star Wars fan. You are. You know what? We're still going to find something Star Warsy to talk to you about. 
Exactly. And then we're going to end up having a wonderful time and you are going to leave work early on that high like I did because that's how fandom is supposed to be. Damn it. In your face. Episode 129 of Full Sith for Bobby Roberts, Brian Young, and Amy Ratcliffe. I'm the Mike Pilot. May the force be with you. Always. If you're not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.